Does God love atheists as much as he loves Christians? What about the different religions of the world? Does he love all the different religions and the people who adhere to those religions the same? There are three uh, monotheistic religions of the world, religions that believe that there is only one God who created the heavens and the earth. Truthfully, all three of those religions believe in Adam and Eve. They believe in Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Ishmael, Sarah, the 12 tribes of Israel, King David. But does God love them all the same? Jews, Christians, and Muslims. Because I know that those three religions have a really hard time loving each other equally. So I'm wondering, is that a reflection of the attention or the care or the love that God has for them? That might be too easy of a question, so let me make it a little bit difficult, uh, because this is a Christian church service. The question is going to be this. Who is the church for? Is the church for Christians, or is the church for those who are not Christians yet? Now, my personal answer to that, that question actually got me fired. That's, that's true. But that's also a story for another day. Ultimately, what we're asking is what God thinks about people who don't love him back, right? Because that has personal application to me. How do I love those who don't love me back? Or maybe more appropriate for our culture and our time would be, how do I show love to those who don't think like I think? who don't believe what I believe, who don't vote the way I vote, or who don't care about the things that I care about. Now, everybody loves the people that, that love them back. And truthfully, it's very easy to be kind to people who are of the same political persuasion as you, or who likes the same TV shows, who, who uh, uh, roots for the same teams, right? It's, it's easy to, to, to love those people. But when it comes to those who are on the opposite side of us from things that we are most passionate about, it becomes more difficult to show kindness, compassion, and love. So what we want to do is we want to look at God's posture towards those who oppose him because that should be the example for the posture that we should have toward those that we feel may oppose us. Our number one value as a church is that we're biblically centered, and the reason why we want to be biblically centered is because the Bible said that God honors his word above even his own name. Our second value as a church, and I also hope that if you're a follower of God, your second value is that you're radically generous. God has already been good to us. So we don't give to God through our local church family or through this church family. We don't give to God so that God will give back to us. We recognize that God has already been more generous to us than what he owed us, than what we deserve. And it's out of our recognition of his, of his generosity and gratitude for that, that we have the capacity to be generous, both towards God's kingdom purposes and the world and in the lives of other people. But today, I want you to choose 
to be outwardly focused. And by outwardly focused, I'm not talking about just other people outside of yourself. I'm talking about those who are outside of those you feel are in with you. That's what I want you to do. Today, I want you to see that God is focused outside of himself, that Jesus is the ultimate proof of God's intention to reach outsiders and make them insiders, and that he's also called all of us to hold that same posture as a church and individually towards those who are outside of faith. So that brings me to the first point of today's teaching, that God searches. God searches, uh, Jesus saves, and the church sins. That's that's pretty much the whole the whole sermon right there in a nutshell. God searches, Jesus saves, and the church sins. God searches because he's outwardly focused. Now, God created mankind as insiders. That's what we see in the first three chapters of the Bible. That God created mankind in his inner circle, in perfect relationship with each other, and in perfect relationship with him. And the truth is, we're the ones who walked away from God. It's not that he walked away from us as much as we walked away from him. And God would have been completely justified when we did that. Honestly, he could have wiped us out and started all over. And who would have been there to say that he had done anything wrong? But instead, when we walked away from him, he came looking for us and even created a path for us to come back to him. Later on in the book of Genesis, you see that God singles out a man named Abraham. It says, Abraham, if you trust me, I'm going to bless you and others through you. But more specifically, in Genesis chapter 22, verse 18, God tells Abraham this. He says, and through your descendants, all the nations, that's all the people groups in the world, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. So he told them that I'm going to bless you. And here's the reason I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you, Abraham, because there's a whole lot of other people who are disconnected from me, who are not in the same relationship with me that you are. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to bless you so that the rest of them can know and experience my intentions for them also. Toward the end of the Hebrew Bible, the one of the most famous prophets, his name is Isaiah. He put it this way in verse 49. He says, you will do more than restore the people of Israel to me. I will make you, he says, quoting God, a light to the Gentiles and you will bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. So all along, God has intended for all people everywhere to have the chance to be brought close to him. So God's posture towards those who have turned their back on him is to not only make room for them if they came back, but to actually send people on his behalf to grab their attention and turn them back to him. God all along has taken the attitude towards those who want nothing to do with him. (laughs) His attitude has been to change their mind to like coerce them and woo them back to himself. So from the moment God breathed life into mankind's lungs, God has always been interested in all people 
everywhere coming back to him. The other prophet, Jeremiah, put it this way in verse 32. Uh, he quotes the God when he says, I am the Lord, the God of all the peoples of the world is anything too hard for me. So when God thinks of who he's the God for, he says that I'm God of all people. That's who I am. There is room at my table for everyone who will repent of their sin and come back to me. First Timothy chapter two, verse three and four actually says that. It says, this is good and pleases God our Savior. What pleases God our Savior? This, that he wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. That's what God wants. So God is outwardly focused. God searches. Uh, there's another verse that said that God, God seeks those in whom to do great things so that other people would be brought to him, right? Like that's, that's God's intention is to include everyone. So that, that's the first. The first part is that God searches. God is outwardly focused. The second is that Jesus saves. Jesus is proof that God is outwardly focused. Now, in Jesus's time, his contemporaries, especially those who are theologically trained, couldn't stand him. They had a problem with Jesus. So people didn't like Jesus because he didn't do what they thought the Messiah should do or any other messenger sent from God should do. Mark chapter two, verse 13 talks about this. It says, then Jesus went out to the lake shore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. And as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. So if he's sitting, if he's a tax collector, who does he work for? The Jews or the Romans. He works for the Romans. So automatically, all Jews consider Levi a bad guy. But when he chose to take the job of working for the Romans, he had now made himself ceremonially unclean and would have never been allowed to enter into the temple again. So not only was he a bad guy in everyone's eyes towards other Jews, he was also now a bad guy toward God himself. Here's what Jesus does. So he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth, we're in verse 14, and Jesus said to him, Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. Now, how many people could Jesus have talked to when he came there that day? I mean, truthfully, he was talking to the multitudes. But as the multitudes were following him and he saw a guy sitting at his booth, taking taxes from all of the Jews, robbing his own people to pay their oppressors, intentionally knowing he was outside of God's grace, who was the one person out of the multitude of people that Jesus spoke to personally? It was the one who everybody else was thought was farthest removed from the presence of God. That's the one that Jesus came to, tapped on the shoulder and said, bro, if you want to follow me, you can. Get up, follow me. And so Levi did. He gets up and follows him. Verse 15 says, Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as a dinner guest. Now remember, he's ceremonially unclean. And if Jesus is from God, should he or should he not go be a guest at this man's house? So Jesus is invited and his disciples to come to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. <laughs> Can you imagine the scenario? 
Like Jesus had not committed sin. Jesus was tempted to sin, Hebrews tells us, yet he had never chosen to actually commit any sin. The disciples now are devoted followers of God through faith in Jesus. Like they're, they're walking after the ways of Jesus. They're not doing the stuff Jesus isn't doing. They're doing the stuff that Jesus is doing. And then they go to be a guest of Levi and all of his other disreputable sinner friends, all of the other people who are tax collectors, and they they are outnumbered, like vastly outnumbered. They're like this one shining light in this room full of darkness. They're like the good guys in the lair of the bad guys' den. And there were, and then, by the way, and then it adds in parentheses, if you're following along in your Bible, you already see this. It adds in parentheses that there were many people of this kind among Jesus's followers. I love that. Is that included in the people that Jesus considered to be his crew were people other people thought shouldn't be there. Verse 16 says, but when the teachers of religious law who were Pharisees saw Jesus eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum. When Jesus heard this, he got up from the table, walked over to him, and this is what he said. He said, I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Jesus spent time with his disciples and those who are followers of God, no doubt. But who did Jesus prioritize time with? Sinners, outsiders, people who are broken. Why? He gives us the answer. He says the reason why he spent time with them is because they were the reason he had even been sent by God. Luke chapter 19, verse 10, he says it this way after a very similar thing happened with another tax collector named Zacchaeus. He said, for the son of man came to seek and to save those who are lost. Why did Jesus come? To seek and to rescue who? Outsiders. So God has been searching for outsiders since Genesis chapter 3. And the, the Christian New Testament opens with God in human form, going after those who are disconnected from him also. So why is it then that it seems the longer somebody is a Christian, the less likely they are to be friends with those who aren't also Christians. I think that we forget what Jesus told his disciples when he first called them to begin following him. So I'll ask you to turn to Matthew chapter four, where I'm going to read verse 19, where it says this. Jesus called out to them, and this I believe is, is Peter, uh, James, and John. And he says, he calls out to them, come follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. Jesus said to the first disciples that if you follow me, the end result of you following me is that you would be focused on those who don't follow me. I would put it this way. The more you love Jesus, the more you love those who don't care about him. The closer you get to Jesus, the more focused you are on those who are farthest from him. Truthfully, if you walk after Jesus, you have to be outwardly focused. 
What that means is that, yes, you're involved in this local church family. We're going to be talking about that next weekend, actually. But your mission isn't to just get closer and closer and closer and closer with your Christian friends or with your church family. The mission is everybody that you actually love and care about who are still disconnected from God. And that brings me to the third and final point of today's teaching. Number one, God searches. Number two, Jesus saves. And number three, the church sends. The church isn't the building or even the way that we have organized ourselves to be able to take care of so many people who are a part of our church family. The church is the gathering of those of us who are devoted followers of Jesus who are working together to accomplish the mission of Jesus. That's who the church is. And in the last month that Jesus spent with the church here on earth before he ascended into heaven, he gave them two statements which summarize what they should be focused on. So in Jesus' last month with his with the church, he gives them two statements that summarized what every church everywhere and all of the individuals who are part of that church should be focused on. This is Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 and 19, and Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Here it is. Matthew 28. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, because I rock this joint, here's what I want you to do. Go and make disciples of all nations. Now, they were already disciples. They were insiders. So you can only make an insider out of somebody who isn't currently an insider. What he said is, because I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth, your job now is to be focused on all of those who are currently outside of my family, disconnected from relationship with my father through faith in me. You now need to, if you are going to recognize that I, Jesus, have authority in heaven and on earth, you now must be outwardly focused. He says it in Acts chapter 8. This is on the very last day that he's with the disciples, with the church. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now in verse 7, he said, Now I want you to go back to the city of Jerusalem, which is just on the other side of the valley. They're on the Mount of Olives in this conversation. He says, I want you to go back into Jerusalem, and I want you to wait on the Holy Spirit. He says, And, and when the Holy Spirit comes, you will receive power. Power to do what? Here's what your power is going to be. You will be my witness, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Uh, there's a verse that Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount, where he said, not to store up our treasures on earth, but to store up our treasures in heaven. And the connection between storing up our treasures in heaven and the mission of those of us who are followers of Jesus to stay focused on those who are disconnected from faith in Jesus is made, that connection is made by a really famous preacher. His name is Rick Warren. He wrote the book, Purpose Driven Life. It was one of the first Oprah Book of the Month Club books. So I thought you might've heard of it. Kind of famous, right? Rick Warren says this. He says, uh, the way you store up treasure in heaven is by investing in getting more people there. That's what it looks like. Like if you want to store up treasure in heaven, then make sure more of your actual friends, your actual family members, and truthfully, some of your neighbors, some of your classmates, 
some of the people on your team, some of the other people who live in your dorm, some of the other people who live on your street get a chance to be there also. There was a time in the book of Acts where those who claimed to be followers of God were distracted from the mission of God and were spending more time with just each other than they were accomplishing the mission that they with each other were supposed to be focused on. And the Apostle Paul calls them back to the mission in Acts chapter 13, verse 47, when he says, For the Lord, that's Jesus, gave us this command when he said, I have made you a light to the Gentiles to bring salvation to the farthest corners of the earth. That, that's what he said, I've made you a light for. I've made you a light for everybody else in the farthest corners of the earth to be brought to me. The whole point of me putting in my Holy Holy Spirit in you is to be a witness to everybody, everywhere. When the Gentiles, verse 48, when the Gentiles, when the outsiders heard this, they were very glad and thanked the Lord for his message. And all who were chosen for eternal life became believers. So if God focused on mankind who is born naturally outside of grace, if Jesus was sent to rescue those who are outside of his grace. And if the church is sent out to reach, to serve, and to love those who are outside of God's grace to come back, then who do you think you ought to be prioritizing in your life right now? Those who are outside of grace. And I'm going to give you three reasons why you're going to have a hard time doing this. Number one is that it's uncomfortable. It is just easier for me to spend all of my time with people who think and feel the same way I think and feel about things. It's just easier. The problem is that it's not what I was saved from my sin for. Like, it's harder. I knew. Humans naturally crave safety and comfort. It's just That's not what we were made Christians for. The number two reason why you're going to have a hard time with this is because you're going to be a little bit afraid. You're going to be afraid to build connections with people on the other side of the aisle. People who don't believe the same thing you believe about, I don't know, your nationality. Oh gosh, race even. People are in a different place economically. People who have different views on sexuality. People who vote, like it's, it's just scary to open yourself up to people that it's not comfortable to trust. So it's just scary. And the third reason is because maybe you have bad theology. <laughs> maybe you've been taught that the role of you as a Christian is to circle the wagons and keep yourself from becoming contaminated by all of them pagans everywhere else. And it is true, the Bible says, to separate yourself from them and that we don't share the same values with them. But the model that we follow is that we always make time for them. We always make room for them at our table, in our backyard, at our barbecue. 
the, what should you do with today's teaching? I'm going to give you a few ideas. One is that you should make a map on the back side of your front door that has a block for all the other houses on your street. And as you find out the names of your neighbors, put their names in those blocks. And every time you walk outside your door, pray for one of your neighbors. I think the first thing you need to do is pray for those who are spiritually disconnected from God. Next thing I think you ought to do now that it's getting summer is I think you need to throw a block party. Invite everybody in your apartment building, everybody on your street to bring their own drinks. They can even bring their own meat. You're just going to supply the grill and maybe rent an inflatable bouncy house or something like that for the little kids. Serve in one of our movie nights this summer. Invite your friends to a weekend service, especially Christmas and Easter. Make cookies for the new people that moved in in your building. Shovel someone's driveway you don't know when it snows. Volunteer at your kid's elementary school. Coach Little League. Tutor at the library. Volunteer at the Boys and Girls Club. Go hang out where people who don't share your faith and values hang out and just be their friend and see what God does with it. If you would, please bow your head with me and we'll pray. God, I love you with all of my heart. And I'm thankful for those who've made time to include me and their life also. I'm thankful for my actual friends on my actual street who've come to faith in Jesus since we became neighbors. Thank you for bringing them into our church family. Thank you for each one of their friends, their family members, and some of our other neighbors who are spiritually disconnected from you that we're learning to love and become friends with. Leverage our lives to be a blessing to all the nations who already live in our neighborhood, who are employed at our place of business and who go to school with us at our college. Let us be more mindful of those around us and more inclusive in the way that we share our time and our love with them and use us to be a blessing to them so that they'll have the chance to know and to follow you also. We ask this in Jesus' name, and we all say together, amen.